We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Facing an injury crisis, Arsenal will now have to figure out how to get through the rest of the season without any real quality defenders. It is a shame, and if only there was a period of time where we could acquire these players for the remainder of the season. A period of time, like a window perhaps, if only a window would open for us to acquire players to help with this defensive crisis. Alas, no such period exists as far as the club is aware. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Bit of a rambling opening, which will match up nicely with the rambling ending, because at the end of this podcast, we've got a good 25-minute conversation with Dave Meeks, Dave Meekleham, the Scotsman from the Doomcast, the uh, erstwhile Arse to Mouse podcast. He uh, makes an appearance. You cannot follow him on Twitter, but you can listen to him on this podcast. If you did not listen to the Arse to Mouse podcast, first of all, congratulations and good for you. If you did, I should warn you, it tends to be a gloomy, rambling affair, and that is the kind of content you can look forward to at the tail end of this podcast, but you can look forward to the usual content uh, at the beginning of the podcast, and by that, I mean, well, whatever you think that means. Uh, So let's start, first and foremost, by introducing the gentleman, and I use that term loosely, who are here. Paul's on Twitter. You can find him at Twitter. (laughs) Paul is on the podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Paws in my pants. Hello, Paws. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. And Clive is here. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hi, Clive. Hello, hello. Okay, uh, enough of the lighthearted stuff for a moment. Uh, We do want to uh, give a mention to something I meant to actually in a previous podcast, but due to being out of town and not being in the usual setup, I did not have the note in front of me, and it's my fault. But I do want to give a mention to Dave Seeger. Uh, Dave lost his son Liam, tragically, uh, on New Year's Day in a road accident, just 24 years old. Um, Lifelong Gunner Arsenal supporter, supported the club together as a family, and... Uh, obviously, you can imagine 
the challenging time that that family has gone through. Um, Dave has written books about the arsenal that you should definitely go find. Uh, but what he's doing now um, to celebrate Liam's life uh, is he's set up a GoFundMe for the Willow Foundation, um, Bob and Meg's Wilson Willow Foundation, which does excellent work with, work with seriously ill young people. So uh, the Willow, uh, Willow is the only national charity uh, in England working with seriously ill 16 to 40-year-olds to fulfill uplifting and unforgettable special days. Each day is a life-affirming experience that can lift spirits, reunify families, and be a source of strength when it is needed most. Uh, all I can say is that it is an absolutely worthwhile cause and not that we should ever have a reason to need to donate and give to a worthwhile cause, but uh, in honor of Liam and the, the passing of a gooner and, and a young one at that, you can find it at uh, gofundme.com in memory of Liam Seeger. And you can certainly find that uh, on Dave's Twitter as well. So, um, you know, not, not the most uh, happy occasion to, to start the podcast, but certainly always happy occasion to mention uh, people that have touched the club, been touched by the club, and, and certainly the case with Liam. And we wish Dave the best uh, for him and his family. And I'm sure uh, Paul and Clive echo that sentiment as well, along with Tim and Scott and everyone involved with the podcast. So we're happy. Yeah, and to- in fact, uh, yeah. Clive and I probably both have a quick thing to say. Uh, Dave has been brilliant, instrumental over the years in getting people involved and blogging for Arsenal. And I was one of those people. I wrote a bit or two at the start, and he was a tremendous support and influence. And I met up with the guy, and he's always been incredibly general to ge- uh, generous to other people, complimentary. He d- doesn't just compliment you at the start, and then if you, you get a little bit popular, he's as generous as ever all the way through. So, great guy. Clive? Yeah, I, I I know him. I know him quite well, and I got involved with uh, Gunnerstown through Dave, and he was one that first sort of said to me, get yourself out there, you're talking a bit of sense, and try writing, and um, I tried, right? So, um, But he gave me the confidence to try, and um, we talk a lot online, and um, a really sensible guy, and I have a son with a middle name, Liam, as well, and we both know why we named our our sons that way, right? So um, he's a guy similar age to me, and I tell you now, my heart goes out to him and his family 100%. Yeah. Um, it's hard to stretch to think what, what he's going through, but through football and through people, you know, we can hopefully help keep him strong, right? So um, well said, Elliot. And, well, better uh, said by both of you. You can find him on Twitter, by the way, at GoonerDave66. I certainly recommend that you do. Uh, legendspublishing.net forward slash double is where you can find his book. Uh, but certainly uh, the GoFundMe page, Donate to the Willow Foundation, a good cause in celebrating Liam's life. So uh, with that, we will get on to the much less important um, uh, topic of football. Uh, but the good news is we can keep the tone dour uh, because we lost. We lost to Manchester United. Always fun when that happens. Knocked out of the FA Cup uh, at home to Manchester United. And, you know, it, it certainly was a good way to throw a, a wet blanket on top of the uh, Chelsea result and performance, which had lifted the club briefly uh, through all the chaos of a, a, a transfer window that was shaping up to be a bit of a bummer and the Sven Mislintat news. We, we did beat Chelsea, and it kind of lifted spirits, and then this performance shows up like a, a turd on the doorstep that we stomped all over. So, uh, Paul, I, I guess the first thing is when I saw the lineup, I was like, you know what? This is good. We're settling into something. We're going to go with that four-diamond two again. We're going to... We're going to press the way we did before. It looks like Emery liked it. He's just made a couple of tweaks to it, but we're going to stick with what worked against Chelsea. It really wasn't that. It was a 4-2-3-1, and I thought it was much less effective. Oba shoved out to the right wing, maybe to try to give more cover to uh, Maitland-Niles. That didn't really work out so well. 
let's handle this game in stages because the period after the defenders all got injured and left the world, that was that was a different period. But let's start with the initial period. Were you maybe a little disappointed when you saw that it was the four two three one instead of the four diamond two? So obviously, I think we're all excited to see uh, the diamond in play again. But it kind of makes sense against United at home that they're going to be less of possession side than Chelsea were. And it's really up to us to take the initiative to them. And they wanted to play the counter-attacking game, which was really uh, the role we played against Chelsea away. Um, So disappointing, but not too surprising that we went to more of a 4-2-3-1 where we were taking the initiative. Uh, But it did leave us open to uh, United's favourite tactic at the moment, even without Mourinho, a a much more attacking and progressive counter-attacking game. Um, I think we saw something else as well, which was against Chelsea, who... Uh, I think we still have to rate as a very good side. They didn't play with the true centre forward, um, and while I don't, I still think they had plenty of threat and potential to hurt us. Our two centre backs didn't have to face off against a centre forward, um, and in this game they had at least two centre forwards on the pitch at any one time who could give us grief uh, against our our centre backs, and I, I think that showed a little bit, especially after the injuries. So. I think the approach was reasonable in general terms, but it was just bad timing. The wrong opponent uh, in the wrong scenario at at this this juncture. And so we saw this sudden drop off. But I think it explains partly why we were so open through the middle compared to Chelsea. Uh, Those two factors, they were doing the counter-attacking. They had true centre forwards. And we'd gone away from the diamond, leaving us somewhat wide open when we went after the game after conceding. Yeah, and I don't want to pick on Emery. I mean, but tactically, the one thing I said, we did a live pregame show. And the one thing I said he really had to do uh, for my sanity was please don't let Jesse Lingard score. And he, he didn't mm. do it. So like that, that alone, I'm very, very mad at that. Don't let that guy score anymore, please. I can't. I can't handle it. We knew Alexis was going to score. That, that was very predictable. But don't let Jesse Lingard score. Um, so, Clive, yeah, I mean, before we get to the injuries and the way that changed the game and some of the defensive performances, yep. you know, I, I just felt that, you know, look, we had a plan. I don't think it worked as well as their plan. You know, sometimes that ha- that's how it goes. It's not that we didn't have a plan. I'm just not sure it was the right one. I mean, that that formation, that setup to me, I don't think it, it really gets the balance right. Uh, how, how did you feel about yep. the way we, we were set up? Well, I hope that's the end of the four-two-three-one. I generally feel that strongly about it um, because it uncovers every single weakness that we have. Right, so it, it doesn't give our centre backs the protection that they need. So Tim pointed out last time that Kachelny um, had a man of match performance because he didn't feel the need to jump out of his defensive line. When there's only two people in front, of one per- one of those two get moved, he jumps out like he did on one of the goals. Right, so that's one key thing. It doesn't help that um, Kalashnik has got somebody in front of him filling that space, which is restricting him to going on the outside. He goes on the outside anyway. We completely have a hole on the left on the left back slot, right? You look at Maitland-Niles, his positioning wasn't, he was seen as more of an underlapper against the Bamiyang, trying to support him, be there for the set. Um, that doesn't work. We need to penetrate down both sides. We do that when we have a diamond because the space is there to run into. We lose the partnership of Aubameyang and Lacazette straight away, so they're now disconnected. A lot of emphasis is on Lacazette to play well. 
in the in the uh, Chelsea game, we spoke about Ramsey having a job to do. When you give him one job, he's really, really good. When you give him two or three jobs, he tries to do them all. And then he runs himself out completely. After an hour, there was nothing left in the tank because he was trying to carry and do everything he possibly could to keep us in that game to push us forward and come back. You give him too many jobs, that's what happens. And when we, that's what Wenger done for him for so long. And that's where he ended up getting calf strains because he has too much running to do, too much work to do. And then we has that done that to him too many times up until um, Friday night. So I think that formation does not work. The one that would have worked is what well, I think there should be basically two formations we go with, maybe three. Four, two, two, two. Uh, four diamond two or three five two, you know, just how you whatever configuration. But four two three one, that reawakens Wenger's arsenal, that reawakens all the things that we know and love. Full backs are at the pitch at the same time. No protection to our centre backs. People transitioning on us. This is like watching Arsenal be Manchester United in the Champions League semi final. It was that it was that simple. And they know how to beat us. And teams are working us out. And we we you're probably gonna come on to it a little bit, but but you know if you're looking at Arsenal now, we're overloading fullback areas and wide areas. So Man United did the split forward thing on us. They did what we did to Chelsea. Lingard down the middle, Sanchez on one side and Lukaku on the other. Stand in the left back, right back slots because they're not they're gonna they're stupid. They're still gonna push on. And we'll use that as our exit plans. Lingard, you run around in centre midfield. You allow us to sort of overload, but when we transition, you transition fast. And Sanchez and Lukaku, you stay there and wait for us to wait for us to do something stupid, give the ball away, and then we break into those spaces and we'll have fun against them. And we just walk straight into it. Right? We walk straight into it. And um disappointing because tactically I thought we were better than that. And I wasn't quite sure what Emery was trying to achieve. But yeah. um, Hey, it's football, right? Well, I, you know, I, there were a couple of things that are just, you know, right off the bat, you could see, like, we had a couple early transitions, and Aubameyang had the ball 40 yards from goal trying to, like, start the counterattack or, or you know, bring the ball through the, the middle third into the attacking third. Like, that's not where you want him, right? If you're in transition, you want him running onto the ball at the end. Um, yeah. I, I thought the position he was played in, even though, ironically, he got one of his usual tap-in goals in the box, which he just specializes in in finding ways to get those. He spent a lot of the game with the ball at his feet 40 yards from goal. And if you're the opposition, that's exactly where you want Aubameyang. Um, so I, I didn't think that worked. And maybe he played that position to provide a little wide support for Maitland-Niles, but Aubameyang is you know, not really the best support for for the uh, fullback. So, yeah, I, I didn't think that worked particularly well. Awobi had one of those Awobi games. And I know it's just redundant at this point. And people are probably sick of hearing me say it. Although, to be fair, they're probably sick of hearing me say everything. So there's that. Um, I just love the player until he gets to the box. Until he gets to the edge of the box, in the box. And and he's just not the same player with the final ball as he is leading up to that. So, I mean, that that is something that, you know, I think we... we have to work on. When I saw the lineup, I thought, ah, four diamond two, and Awobi will be, you know, in the middle of the diamond, the left middle player in the diamond. That's a great position for him. In the four two three one, again, too much creative responsibility on his shoulders. So, yeah, I I didn't think that worked for him. Paul, I want to get to the defensive performance a little bit, and we'll talk injuries in a moment. But let's just talk Maitland Niles because a big talking point. Mm-hmm. Look, with Bellerin injured, Maitland Niles is sort of the you know trademark you know, this the hope. 
right? Um, because no one wants to see Licksteiner playing there regularly. And I think that we have wish-casted Maitland-Niles into being the perfect replacement for Hector Bellerin, um, you know, assuming Carl Jenkinson is not. And I, I think we have to be careful here. I made the point that I thought Maitland-Niles looked out of his depth in this game. That is not me killing the player, hating the player, thinking he'll never be good. He's not a fullback. And being asked to play, you know, fullback for the Arsenal, starting for the Arsenal against Manchester United in the FA Cup, that's deep water. Saying he's out of his depth there isn't the same as saying he's a bad player. I don't think the position necessarily suits him, and I thought this game showed very clear deficiencies in his game for playing that position. So let's have a an intelligent discussion about Maitland-Niles, which necessarily means I'm not going to be part of it. But how do you feel he performed maybe positively and negatively in this game? I think his major challenge is that he's as a, a young guy, he's still all caught up in his own individual performance. I thought, uh, I thought he was a little bit poor in the first half. Uh, his decision making can be, um, you know, he does some dangerous things in near our final third, some skills and stuff that he hasn't really earned the right to do yet. I think, um, and he lost out in a number of challenges and he was he was ineffectual going forward in the first half. I thought it was much better in the second half on a one-on-one basis, on an individual basis. And I think overall he did a pretty good job uh, on neutralizing Sanchez and Shaw for the most part, especially in the second half. I think he got his teeth into the defensive role. Um, so I thought it was a bit of a mixed game. Uh, fairly good in the second half. Uh, a little bit off in the first half, but I still found the performance overall troubling from an Arsenal perspective in that he just doesn't look, um, uh, nor maybe should he, but he just doesn't look like the answer to our right-back, win-back issues over the next four or five months. Now, he still has time to step up, but he just doesn't carry himself in a way that says he's really clued into the role and and what's involved there. So I found this one disconcerting, encouraging in terms of how he he focused in on a particular job. But there there are a number of jobs when you're playing right right back and wing back, and he just doesn't look like. Uh, he he knows when to go forward and when to get back. Kalasinac, we know what his vulnerability is, but he added a lot in the final third. Um, and Maitland-Niles, I think, settled down to maybe giving us a little control on the right-hand side, but really didn't give us any penetration um, when we needed it. So, uh, God, God troubling knows us. there's nothing more frustrating than not getting penetration when you need it. Yeah. Check yeah. out the enclosed laundry button. Yeah. Um, so, well, look, I, Clive, I, you know, I think, look, there is a difference between saying, you know, Ainsley Maitland-Niles can never be good at fullback and saying Ainsley Maitland-Niles is ready right now to be our fullback for 90 minutes every single game. And that's really the problem. Emery's system, for better or worse, some might say worse, really depends on fullbacks overlapping to build the, the play. And that means they have to cover both sides of the pitch. There's a lot of responsibility on them. Bellerin's gone. Licksteiner's dead. Jenkinson is, you know, let's just say maybe not a professional footballer. So, like, 
the that's a lot of burden to fall on Maitland Niles. And so it's one thing if you say he's going to play a few games here and a few games there and get some sub appearances and you know play in a in a cup tie. We're talking about needing him to play a crucial role in Emory's system right now, and I don't think he looks ready for it. And so let me clarify really quickly where I thought he struggled. A couple of things. He looked very casual on the ball. And maybe that is the byproduct of being a central midfielder where you're used to having more options to pass to, right? If you're in the center of the pitch, you have both sides of the pitch to pass to and having a little more time on the ball. When you're, you know, in your own defensive third and you've got the touchline to your right, you have fewer outlets to pass to. You don't have both sides to look to and you can't afford to lose the ball there. You know, you, you can't afford to give it away. So I thought that was an issue. I thought he, he got lost in possession. I think he, he led Arsenal with three dispossessed and two unsuccessful touches. Doing that in your defensive third is suicide. The other thing that really worried me, so I thought he was very good in the duels, in the 1v1 situations. I thought he actually defended pretty well 1v1. The thing that worried me is instincts. So, Clive, I'll give you two examples of this. One is obviously uh, the Alexis goal, where he's looking right down the line and the central defenders step up. Now, maybe suicidal. Maybe they shouldn't have. But he was slow to step. And he plays everyone onside. Now, I think it was Shaq on the other side probably playing them onside too. But Maitland-Niles is a good yard behind that. The other issue, though, and I don't know if you guys spotted this. I have a very keen eye. I don't know if you know that. Um, <clears throat> he, he would press when it wasn't on and get bypassed. Cochran used to do that sometimes when he was being deployed forward more. And it would drive oh, me nuts. Oh, here we go. Uh, you know, well, you know. Um, but but he, there were so many. And what, and what is Cochran? Uh, that's that's what I always wanted to know personally. He's a centre midfielder. Right? Well, right, yeah, so when, okay, great when, point. So when you're brought up like that, when you see somebody with the ball, the first thing you got to do, you got to close them down, get their heads down, and stop them passing through you. It's just the way he's been scored. Right? Can't do full that backs, as a fullback though. <laughs> yeah, fullbacks. What you do when you're a fullback is you split, you flick your shoulders, check what's around you, spatial awareness, and get into a situations and to show people down one side. Right, that's what you do when you're a fullback. When you're a midfielder, you tackle straight up. You're looking to win the ball transition. It's just a diff- it's just a psychology. I mean, mate, I'm telling you, all this is when people were going on about mate and I was being right back. Did you notice that I didn't go overboard? I spoke about Mustafi and Jenkinson and a rotation. I think mate and Niles is more of a wing back stroke centre midfielder, and actually one of his weakest positions is right back. When he plays left back. Because he's on his other side, he plays it like a midfielder. He comes inside slightly, and he's a tucked-in left-back. That's why he's been quite successful there, because he's almost playing a, a, a left midfield deep, because that's what he wants to do. We, in our minds, we have the fact we like him at right-back because he gives us security. We know he's fast, and we know he can win his tackles. Right, So we like it. That bit is boxed up. But when you start to broaden the game of a fullback, you need to be able to run through lines offensively. You need to be able to box out back posts defensively in the box. You need to get up on the line, always be ahead of your centre-halves, so your centre-halves can see you. So they're the ones that call the line. Right, So it's almost like on an arc. So they're the ones that call the line. So if you're not ahead of them, they should not be calling the line. Right, That's what happened this time. So that's not all his fault. That's a that's a organization communication leadership thing from central defenders, right? But when you're a proper fullback, that's just that's just an automatic response. You just get up quick, you get up tight, and you'll set a house and call it from there on. But you should never be behind them, right? Never be behind them. So what we have, we have a player that's very fast. Very good, not bad physically, although he does tire late in games if you watch him closely. Um, I, I went to game the weekend, so I had a good look at him. Uh, he does tire and he does struggle late in games. And 
Uh, but what he is really, he is a small space player. And what happens is mentally he knocks off. So when you're in wide areas, you need to be very proactive with your movement. So when you're off the ball, you're still in the game. In fact, you are switched on massively because you're waiting for the third man run where you can run between lines and get in on the overload. But what he is, he's a midfielder and he waits for work to come to him. And so he wants it to come to him. So when you're in the centre of the pitch, you're always switched on. You don't have to knock off, right? Because the ball's always there. It's about controlling that area, winning your battles, being dominant technically, being dominant physically, stepping away from people, running through lines, and you're in charge. In the fullback areas, you have lots of dead time, right? And he does not suit dead time. He does not suit dead air. Do you see what I mean? He Mm. needs to be in it. He needs to be in the mixer to 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 take away his weakness because his weakness is it's not casualness. Switching off. He just he just does what's required. Mm-hmm. So if you put him in if you put him in the Alamo, he'll go and knock he'll knock four people down. If you give him one man, I was watching him just walking behind Alexis, marking him, walking with him. When you're a fullback and you're it's it's like a game of chicken with your winger, you say, Right, you're gonna follow me now, I'm gonna make you defend. Right? And sometimes you're walking forward, you make a run, just see if he follows you, you see what sort of game plan is. But he just walked next to him and marked him, and you can't just do that. You know, this is not under 16s, right? You've got to work, you've got to overload, you've got to double up, you've got to underlap, you've got to come inside, you've got to cover around your centre-back. There are lots of jobs to do. When you're a full-back that's filling in, the one thing you know you can do is win your one-on-ones. If he runs off you like he did for the first goal, he ran off him, right? You should be passing him on, communication-wise. Mm-hmm. You learn that as a fullback, right? He just run off him, Alexis, great run goal. I'm not saying that's his fault, but it's indicative of the lack of communication, people standing in for people doing that job. You know, other ways you do it, you make sure you're on the inside of him. When he runs across, you block him off, you don't let him run across your box. There's lots of things to learn. So when people say he's a fullback, he's someone who can play fullback. He is not a fullback, right? And I said at the weekend, we need to buy a fullback or we are not going to finish in that top four. We need a fullback. And in some ways, Jenkinson is a closer profile player offensively to Bellerin. Maybe Maitland-Niles is a, he does some of Bellerin's short space work. But what does this team need? In the diamond, we need a bigger space runner. Yeah. Right, definitely. Um, If you're going to play Maitland-Niles on the right back, it's got to be as a wing back. So you also use him as a right midfielder and then you use his recovery speed to come back in to help the right centre half defensively. So I think it's all clear to everyone now. He has a limit as a fullback. There are many teams out there. As I said before, there are top six games and there's the rest. In the rest, he's fine. Top six games, pocket's going to get picked, mate. Simple as that. Well, and and then, you know, the, the question then, Paul, is I... I, I believe very strongly in the idea that if we have a plan and we try to execute it and it doesn't go well, that's football. If you have a plan and it doesn't make any sense, then then I have concerns. Emery said after the match, we knew that their counterattacks were an issue. We talked about that. We wanted to be mindful of that. I watched this game. We had two fullbacks in their half. We had central midfielders 30 yards from goal, and we had two center backs standing on the midfield stripe. And I, I just thought we were incredibly vulnerable to, to counterattacks. And time and time again, it was one pass or two passes, and they had three-on-twos, two-on-ones, four-on-threes. So, you know, how do you reconcile Emery's comment that we, they, 
we were focused on their counterattacks and discussed it with what seemed to be the reality of the situation, which is that we were constantly cut open. Yeah, well, I think he got rattled at a certain point. I mean, uh, I often wonder, what's it like when you suddenly lose a couple of players basically in the same position and you look to the bench and the players aren't there and you're moving everything around? And, um, you know, he, he used a valid excuse that we lost some players, but it didn't really... Like, our first move was to bring on um, Mustafi for um, Socrates, which, uh, I mean, I know we all see a substantive difference there in terms of style and for, for many people in terms of quality, but it should have been at least okay. Um, and, you know, they got two quick goals um, around the 30-minute mark, and we were rattled. Um, so uh, we got back into the game before halftime, which was good, and he had the halftime to consolidate we were at, where we were at, but then he has that follow-on injury, and that, I think that just turned us to shreds um, because our midfield was taken apart at that stage. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, bringing on Ozil, I mean, that's just... I mean, to, it, it, putting... I, I thought Chaka did okay as centre-back, it has to be said. but So it was less the impact in some ways on the centre-backs, but that's got to have kind of disconcerted everybody. The midfield was all shook up. You got Ozil in there now, uh, and you got Ganduzi coming on shortly afterwards, and he travels all over the pitch. Love the guy, but he doesn't stay in one place. Um, that was a lot to deal with in the second half, so I kind of have a lot of sympathy for him. I wasn't surprised overall that... United had that kind of a game against us um, overall. And I think it was just too much to deal with. I think they're in the moment at the moment. Uh, Emery had too many changes and didn't know how to get some control over this. And he basically said, fuck it, we'll go for the extra goal. And they hit us on the counter. Um, I think it's better to judge us on the game before that first half really was where the game was still bounded and there was some element of structure and control. As soon as we brought on Ozil, I think things went to shit, to be honest. And I'm not particularly blaming Ozil. I, I just don't think Emery had a game plan that could support that setup with Ozil, with Genduzi uh, wandering around. Chaka now dropped deep. And I think it turned into a mess. And this game is kind of a, has become a bit of a one-off. The question is... How damaging is it? Well, yeah, it's a one-off, except for the fact that those injuries are not one-offs. And yeah. Working, right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I totally see what you're saying. You know, it's interesting with Ganduzi, right? Because he came on and, I mean, immediately made some incredible passes, you know, really good line-breaking yeah. passes. The thing with Ganduzi and someone on Twitter, and I, I don't remember who it is, so I have to apologize, made this point, and I think it's a really valid one. Ganduzi makes some really nice progressive passes, really moves the ball between the lines nicely, but he switches off without the ball, and he does get caught up the field, and it, it hurts us especially against counterattacking teams. And you have to ask, if that's the reason Emery's not playing Ozil, why is it Ganduzi plays every game? You know, if the argument is Ozil's not playing because he's not working hard enough for the team, it's not that I think Ganduzi wouldn't want to, but... He's certainly as weak off the ball defensively as Ozil is. So I think it's at least worth asking, you know, he, he's much more physical. No, he's much more physical. He's much busier. Um, he, he, he totally impresses his personality on the game. Uh, the only problem with that is off the ball, he travels a lot. I mean, he's kind of a nomad around the midfield. So he might be doing really good things, but he's also like 
10 yards away from where you'd want them to be when, when things get reversed on you. Sorry, well, I, I guess that's sort of what I mean, though. And Clive, you can build on this, but I'm saying like if positional discipline or vulnerability off the ball is a reason Ozil's not playing, it, it certainly begs the question, are we getting more from Genduzzi than we are from Ozil? And I realize Genduzzi tends to play deeper uh, th- than Ozil does, and maybe that Ozil just wouldn't be suited to that, period. But, I mean... I, I actually thought, and I, I don't want to beat up on him too much because I thought the game was lost, and as, as uh, Paul rightly said, had lost its structure at that point. But I actually thought when Ozo came on, he, he did a couple nice things initially and then just kind of didn't really care what happened from there. I mean, Clive, it's our first look at him for a while. Yeah. He, he doesn't really strike me as someone who's suited to being a sub anyway. And again, caveats about the structure of the game being gone, but I don't think it was a really particularly impressive uh, cameo from him. Yeah, so... Um... Where do we where do we go here, right? So um, we have a Manchester United. They highlight things in you, really. Every time I watch Arsenal play Manchester United, I come away with the same feelings. I, I look down from the stands at their players. I looked at Pogba. I looked at Limba, Lingard. I looked at Sanchez, Martial, Rashford. I mean Lukaku, Matic. These are serious running athletes, mate serious transition beasts they can move and you look at our midfield at the stage at that late stage of the game Gwenduzi is our fastest recovery runner if Gwenduzi is your fastest recovery runner you have a problem it's not about systems not about the player it's it's that's what he's got right Ozil hasn't got that recovery speed Ramsey at that time of the game had run out of his legs um, Shaquille's already in the back line. Torreira had run himself into the ground, was in the wrong position. And suddenly, the green grass is staring at you. Right? So please don't think that Gwendouzi can't defend. Don't think that, um, you know, he does. he's very proactive. He's got a lot of personality. He can defend. Within that structure late in the game, it was just too much grass for them all to cover. And basically... Pogba just took the mickey and ran through us and he was he was making ground on people with the ball and he is a special player the thing about Ozil is um, I've got to say when he came on he does a few nice passes but what really struck me and I, and I agree with you I don't think it's a substitute uh, I think it's beneath him I said it before he doesn't want to know right so what really struck me was he was literally not at the level of this game. He could not handle the movement, the running. It, it's just doesn't. It did not suit him. I want to say it did not suit him coming on. I almost it was almost looking like he was the manager put him on there to see if he could hang himself. You know, it, it literally looked that bad. He was nowhere. He was getting the ball and playing these nice little vertical passes out to the wing. And oh, good ball, well done! It was all done at an intensity level, which did not belong in this game. It was just wasn't there. It wasn't at the level. So don't look at the numbers. Don't look at the passing. I thought he was terrible. I mean, just I'll, I'll be candid. And I I know any time you're critical of Ozil, you you get killed. But I I thought I've he came on. He made a couple nice passes. Him. Thought he was terrible. Yep, I I, yeah, I agree. I've never yep. felt this way. I've never seen a player like that. You know, someone who I've already said is in my top five favorite ever players I've ever watched live. I mean, that's how I've I've learned so much from watching him about the game of football. But, mate, there is nothing 
in his feet. There's no oomph, there's no snap. You can sometimes you can hear the ball when he kicks it when you're in the crown. There's nothing there. It's just nothing. He looks weak. I I I, I was shocked at how he played. And it's not it's not a criticism, it's just where he is right now. So that makes me wonder about what's happening off the pitch. How fit is he? Is he training properly? Has he given up? Is there been a complete relationship breakdown? And some people in the pub were saying to me afterwards, yeah, I thought he'd done all right. And that's just not what I saw, which makes which makes the game great, right? We all see different things. But I, I just didn't see it. More, more than anything with him, I didn't feel it. He's someone that feels the game. And when he feels the game, it's just a beautiful picture. Nothing, mate. Nothing. I felt no hope. I felt nothing was going to come from him. And um, it's very concerning that we are tied together and and we're getting that level of performance from him. Uh, and it's, again, it's nowhere to blame him. He was a substitute against a strong team that won eight on the trail. This is not about him, but just getting a snapshot. We haven't seen for a while him on the pitch. You're hoping you're going to see something that says, I want to be here. I didn't sense that at all, Elliot. Didn't sense that. No, and this was a weird game because at two to one, that's game on. It never really felt on. Weirdly, um, we didn't get a shot. Another game, we're late in the game. We just didn't create any shots, even though we were chasing the game. Um, can I can I say one more thing? Yeah, please do. What, what's really apparent is that sometimes what really stood out to me was we looked tired. After an hour or so, we looked tired. And I tweeted out saying, we've got a lot of 60-minute players. And the way he's been using these players in half games and, and three-quarter games, I think it's been really smart. So I was speaking to a mate of mine who's a huge Ramsey fan. And I know some people want him to start games, but he's been coming on at half-time and having devastating impacts. In the first 25 minutes of this game, he was our best player. No doubt about it. He was really strong. With Lacazette, he was really strong and moving. But then he died. And then you're now seeing why he gets taken off. And this is where he was picking up injuries before. Car strains in the last 20, having to go off. He died. And we've got a number of players that Torreira died. Right? He died on the game. Maitland-Niles was struggling. Kalashnik was struggling in periods physically to stay with them. We, we've got a problem there in, with the type of players that we have. They are, they're, they're just not... Are you prepared Always. to look back on using all these players in the group stage of the Europa League when they could have been resting, using them all uh, in every game during the holiday program? I mean, know, I don't want to beat on Emery, but but come on. I mean, they, they've they got a lot of games in their legs already. No, no, not more than anybody else. Not more than Manchester United. This is about our ability to raise ourselves against big teams twice in a week. We haven't done it for ages, for years. When we beat Spurs, I think we had Manchester United on the Wednesday I knew we wouldn't quite take them. We didn't have the oomph in our body. I wasn't expecting to win this game because after the Chelsea tip-top performance, we've just never produced two big ones in a week. Can I push back and for one second, though, just, just on one idea yes, here? Mate. I mean, again, double training sessions, lot, very limited rotation, but not just that. We've been praising all season, and rightfully so, that Arsenal, every game, what do we say? That's the most running any team's done in the Premier League this season. That's the most running any team's done in the Premier Oh, that's the most running. I mean, if your system demands your players lead the league in running every single game, then as the season wears on, you've been running more than other teams. You're going to fade. I mean, I think there is a valid question to be asked. I think Pochettino's side struggle with this, that they, they faded late in seasons because small squad and a lot of running. I mean, isn't it fair to maybe look at the, the lack of power in the legs right now and say... 
maybe Emery is is wearing through these guys. No, I think it's, it, you could say that. That's a view. I can't. I can't say you can't have that. That's a, that's a view. You'd say it's but wrong. I, 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 <laughs> I could, but what I will say is. The way we've beaten some of these bigger teams at home, like in Chelsea and Spurs, for example, the way we've done it, I really like. You know, compare that to the games we won at home last year or drew last year. I've really liked the performance. And a lot of that has been built on intensity and, and running and technique at high speed and transitions and, and really good, strong technical and physical balance performances. I've really felt they've been better this year than they were last year the, about the way we did it. Last year, it's far more individual, far more Alexis Ozil type wins, the 3-0 Chelsea home game from a couple of years ago. Th- those, those wins are based on artistry and our artists waking up and feeling good that day. These wins are closer to something that can be more sustainable. But what we have is the same players that he's trying to squeeze as much juice out of this orange. And every now and again, they just dry up. And I could see this one coming. We, una- we're not unable to sustain it. And what we haven't spoken about yet, but we, we have to, before this game, I think a, a day or two before this game, there was lots of clips going on about the Man City away game when Santa Cazorla had a great day right that is that possibly the last big six away victory we've had i'm not too sure and we still all watch those little clips and that video because we've not gone away and had a big win yet and and we need to look at the types of players that we have and you know my view on this we've got some nice players some lovely players but we haven't got the types that are going to dominate these teams sustained week on week on week on week. We can squeeze a bit out every now and again. We can squeeze a bit out to win FA Cups. We can squeeze a bit out to win the home games, get the top six. But every now and again, we just hit a wall where we can't quite get any more out of this group. And I don't blame the manager because this has been a this has been a trend over the last three or four years. And I think this is why my constant um, mantra is we need some significant change and significant pillars to come out of this team before the identity changes. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a lot there. So before I waffle on about something stupid, Paul, do you want to weigh in on any of those topics? <laughs> or are you gone? No, you know what? Paul is gone. Is he? No, Paul's here. Paul's still here. He's just on mute. Okay. The good thing is Skype actually tells me when, when someone's muted so I know if they're paying attention or not. So, Paul, yeah, no, I, uh, I'm paying attention. put down the lingerie yeah, was, catalog and, and, and tell me what you think of those topics. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say is that the fixture list has been nicely paced for us in recent times. So, you know, we played we – had, we coasted against Fulham 4-1. And we didn't play in the – that was January 1st. We didn't play in the Premier League again till January 11th. Uh, all right, that was a fairly exhausting game because we were chasing it, and unfortunately, we lost 1-0 to West Ham. And then we don't play again till January 19th, which was a rousing 2-0. And then we play six days later at home against United. Um, so um, we, you got to say it's not the most exhausting period of a season. And we should be able to pace ourselves at that point. Uh, I understand there's some accu- accumulated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But but that's not terrible. And as Clive points out, other teams have gone through it. Now, United have a second. For all their moaning and groaning and all Mourinho's moaning, I mean, they have a big squad with a lot of big players. And I kind of lean to... to cl- I think it's a bit of both, unfortunately. Uh, I think... 
our early season certainly didn't leave us fresh, but there's no great excuse, especially when you're playing at home. Um, and then on the other hand, as Clive says, they have some players with real legs who can, uh, busy players and, and players who can traverse a pitch. And they were set up for this game and they took it to us and they got the early lead and it played into their hands more and more as time went on. It's, to me, it's kind of a one-off, but I don't think... Uh, the issues that a, a, a reasonable person can look at here will go away quickly. I think I think there's going to be a tough second half to our season for us and a bit of an eye-opener. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, what, what do you... So So let's... As we start to wrap up from this game, by the way, one thing we haven't touched on is Petr Cech. Just really oh. briefly, Paul. He, Ouch. He announced his retirement at the end of the season. He may have wanted to rethink that and just announce it immediately now yeah um paul can we continue to i mean this this performance raised questions to me about whether he can be a cup keeper the europa league is pretty important for us now are you leaning towards leno having to basically start every game uh well if my career depended on it as a a manager um i'd be very slow uh, i'd be very keen to start looking at leno for the tougher games here when we get into it um i mean uh, Czech played a role in their uh, was it the third goal uh, where he pammed it out to yeah I think it was the third goal he pammed it out um, and they put it away I, I mean up to that I, I don't think he looked very good but I don't know that he cost us the first two goals I know, I know he was a bit suspect on his near post he was kind of moving to the other side but uh, it's still pretty easy to get beaten on that play for the Lingard goal um, I wouldn't blame him for the Sanchez goal either. I don't think maybe maybe that's just my opinion. I don't think he looked good, but I think the third goal, which may not have been that significant, was the one where he looked terrible. Clive, you other disagree? T- other, well, only a little, only just a bit of a highlight, really. I think other other teams press him. It's as simple as that, right? So other teams tell you where you're rubbish, and other teams to stop pressing. Leno now because they know he's quite comfortable and he can dink it over their heads, right? Other teams press him. They press him they pressed him early, they got him nervous, and I got nervous watching him. Right? And that's that's an issue. And you could see it on his face, he's not comfortable with it. He just is not comfortable with it. On the goals, it does you know, the, what you gotta do, you gotta have softer hands there. It's gotta go out for a corner. And he just pushed it out too far, right? And maybe that comes with match sharpness and just feeling the ball a lot better. Um, for me, it's just the fact that we play back to him and he looks nervous and we can't get out through him. And yeah. so other teams get encouraged. So that's the, the main issue. The one thing really. I'd add, though, Clive, is uh, while I agree with that, he is just back. And, yeah, uh, exactly. He knows, like, no, nobody's fooling anybody. He's not good with the ball at his feet, but he'd get a bit better with a few games. That's, yeah, the, that's the one thing you might say. You get your distance. The first thing that goes when you're a goalkeeper, you don't play. You you you, you worry about coming out. You, your distances go. Um, and on crosses, when you come into crowd scenes, you worry about that in case you miss you misjudge it. You just need match sharpness, right? So you're absolutely right to say that. I know you've been quite gloomy about this game, but there wasn't that. There there wasn't. There was many a chance we had going across their area where we got a bit more lucky. We could have scored a couple of goals. Yep. I didn't I didn't feel we were dominated. We had almost every piece of bad luck going in this game. When when we had momentum, we had big injuries. I mean there was a ten minute stoppage in this game. Literally, you know, 
and people were having to warm up off you know off the camera i mean literally do warm up rounds it was and after that you it's just it's almost like there's three games in one you know you literally got a chance to stop and restart so you can't build up momentum and we lost our momentum you know continuously after after the injuries right so although we got beaten and i think we deserve to get beaten i wasn't distraught um and because i think there's bigger things for us to do this year I was more distraught about the injuries that happened. Like they, they really, really concerned him because they could cost us more points down the road, right? So um, I wasn't distraught, and the gap was not huge at all. That could have easily been 2-2 just after half-time, and, and we've got them rocking, right? So um, a bit of luck with injuries, and maybe we've got a different reflection and analysis on this game. But um, hey, they, they won it tactically. It, we took too long to adjust. And when we adjusted, they picked us off. So there you yeah. go. Uh, well, and, you know, I, I think one of the kind of low-key big stories of this season for us, aside from, I mean, the, the, the defending gets the headlines because it's bad and it should get the headlines. But I think a low-key big story for us this season has been tremendous wastefulness around the box. Th- this game... You know, I just found myself pulling my hair out so many times where we had the ball on the edge of the area, in the box, on the wing, and just held the ball too long and missed the opportunity to deliver the pass, or you passed it to nowhere in particular, or took an easy, safe option, you know, out to the overlapping fullback. There, there's very little, um, very little creativity in the side, really, with end product. And obviously, I mean, I know the Mesodozo thing, thing keeps coming up, but even with Mesodozo, it's still probably not enough. I can't help but look at Mkhitaryan's absence as being a big one for us um, because w- whatever his flaws and his sloppiness and inconsistency, he has a final ball in him. I think, you know, you look at Liverpool, you look at City, you look at Spurs, uh, even Manchester United who can bring on a Martial and a Rashford or whatever it is, they have dynamic direct players that can do something special in the final third, beat a man, create space. We just really, really miss that. Um, you know, we have two guys that can get on the end of things, and Lacazette has a few extra tools in his toolbox, and Aubameyang does in the box, but really it is still about getting the ball to an overlapping fullback and crossing it, and I, I just think we we lack the ability to vary how we attack and the execution to, to do well with the ball once we're in and around the box. So if you're going to concede goals, you need to get that part right, and certainly, Paul... The injuries mean we're going to concede goals. Let's just touch on the transfer window really quickly. I mean, in your opinion, the injuries we have now, it doesn't look sustainable. Apart from bringing in a a defender or two in the window, do you see any way we can keep pace, uh, you know, in the top four race? Well, so we'll get Maripanis back soon. Uh, we'll have, we have hopefully no have Kishelny. idea what he can do, by the way. Like, I know, no, yeah. People are just expecting yeah, yeah. he'll step in and be fine. He hasn't played football in a year, and yeah, we've yeah. seen him play twice. I just, I think there's yeah, yeah. a lot of wish casting going on there. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> mentioning the name. The news. Yes, okay. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not quite, it's not quite a year. He played preseason, right? But he also yeah. played the end of last season. But yeah, he's good. He is a mixture of Beresi and Cannavara at the moment in our minds. Yep. Right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyway, let let me go toe-to-toe with Elliot on this one. He is a defender, and he does play for us. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. You, you, got, you got me there. <laughs> All right. um, yeah, I mean, what, what do we do? How do we get, how do we get through? Uh, I, I, so, for, from Emery's comments, it sounds like we would consider it, but it's late in the game, and we've struggled so much with... I mean, we've been looking for wide players 
uh, wide midfielder can play wide midfield and winger, and we're struggling having coming come into this with two months' notice, um, looking at players. So maybe they'll scramble somebody for a defender, but it would look like we need it. I mean, even within our list of center backs that we have, basically have Mustafi because Kishelny could pop a spring at any time. Can't probably shouldn't be asked to play two games a week anyway. No, you can't do that. Come on. Yeah. So we don't know what we got with uh, Mavropanos. We don't know what we got with Kishelny. So that's Mustafi, basically. Uh, in a month's time, hopefully Socrates comes back. But he's had a couple of injuries this season. He looks like he's built like a brick brick shit has, but that's at least two significant injuries so Yeah, he far. may wind up instead being a shit brick house. You just never know. Yeah, a little harsh. Elliot, a little harsh I, for I, an arsenal. He's a great he player. He wears the shirt. I love I love Socrates. He's been our best defender. I just meant the way his body is put together. Like, yeah, instead yeah, of being a brick shit house, might be a shit brick house. Yeah, 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 I know. So basically, we got Mustafi, and I know how excited you are about him. So, yeah, we needed a, we need a centre-back. Obviously, Monreal can fit, fit in there. Licksteiner... Uh, looks like he should be a reasonable centre back, but I know you're still scarred by that header back to the goalkeeper that didn't make it. So <laughs> we're in trouble. By, scarred by a lot of things. I will. I will say this for Licksteiner. Sometimes you just got to take your medicine. This is the guy we brought in to be the backup to Bellerin. So maybe yeah. we just got to use him because I don't think he's been impressive at centre back. But that's fair. He's not a centre back, so maybe he can play full back. And we we need to try that. I, I don't know. I mean. Nacho Monreal center back. I, I think the one thing that worries me, Clive, is if we keep trying Shaq at center back. Not because he's been terrible there, but because he's not a great center back and we have become so reliant on him building the play in midfield. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. We, we we need him in midfield. Although I will say, uh, again, I felt he disappointed me a little bit on, uh, on Friday. And the reason why he disappointed me is just the way he was receiving the ball. Um, I sort of said this at the weekend. He was just receiving the ball from his defenders. But what you want him to do is get on the half turn. And he kept being close, which means I think he was worried about being pressed. He looked nervous. He didn't want to open himself out and, and play the ball forward, right? So his biggest trick is his, is his pace of passing, his forward passing, right? So if you're now passing backwards all the time to nervous, overworked defenders, well, you know, what are you giving me? Right, what are you giving me? You're not giving me a lot, right? So, um, but when he comes out of midfield, we tend to miss him because he's solid. He knows where to be. He breaks things up. He's not quick enough in my mind, and simple as that. He's just not quick enough. So again, he is fine for Arsenal right now. But if I'm somebody in that club, we got to decide how we surround him, and we have to surround him with more speed. Torreira's got speed, but there's no one else. Guendouzi's slightly quicker than say a Ramsey and he's slightly quicker than Shaka but it's not devastating is it it's not like a a massive gap that your eyes can see so we need some speed in there for those more important bigger games um so yeah so if I was a manager I would uh I would go to the back three I I, I would lose that now I would I would try to use Mustafi in the center of a back three as the most experienced one as the organizer and I would surround him with a Mavropanos or a Monreal, for example. Um, and I would either use Listein at right wing back or, or Bellerin at right wing back. And I'd just say, look, you know what? Full backs are important to us. Let's use them offensively. When you have a back three, at least we defend with three. When we have a back four, we end up defending with two. 
Yep. And that's the problem. Yep. Right. So they say, I don't care who it is. Even though it's Cardiff, people can say, why you got back three? It's Cardiff. So, you know what? Let's just play the back three and everyone else go and get them. Right. And we know what, how we're going to do it from wide areas and, and travel through the centre. When we play a back four, I think we're vulnerable unless we've got everybody in shape, our best players available with a strategy and a, a diamond in front of them to make sure that we don't get exposed. That's the that's the only time I could deal with a back four, really, uh, with this set of players that we have at Arsenal. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. So then let's transition to the the hot transfer story that has everybody uh, totally in agreement, as usual at Arsenal, everybody uh, singing from the same hymn sheet. Perisic. Perisic? Perisic. 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 But it's Modric. Modric. Modric? Modric. Modric, yeah. Okay, glad we got that out of the way. Um what do you think about this deal, Paul? So, so initially it was, we want to loan him. Now, he, what we do know is he's turned in a transfer request. So, Inter presumably are under pressure to do something. The last reporting I saw, and I'm going to put reporting in air quotes because anything about transfers is only ever sort of reported, is that we might be willing to loan with a compulsory fee at the end of the loan. Where do you stand on Perisic and Perisic and Perisic? Perisic? Perisic. Perisic. <laughs> That's where I stand. <laughs> How dependent uh, would that position be for you on it being a loan versus a purchase? Uh, so if we're talking about 35 to 40 million for Perisic, that's fucking nuts. Uh, give, given all the challenges we have, A, we're not supposed to have the money. So that would be, as you alluded to, that would be the summer money. We spent 70 million or something last summer. So that's more than 50% of last year's summer budget. Now, I know things are going to be much better this summer, but are they going to be better than last summer or just better than this January window? So if you're telling me we might be spending 50% of our money on Perisic, uh, and if he's handed in a loan request, or sorry, yeah, a, a transfer request, does anybody do that just to get a, a straight-up loan? I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's possible, but... Uh, it's probably more likely if he's doing that, he has an eye to being sold somewhere. Uh, and I hope it's not us. I mean, the guy's uh, classic Arsenal. He's 29. It couldn't be more perfect. He's 29 for the last game he plays at Inter Milan. And, and he'll 30 be 30, <laughs> 30 for his first game for us. Right on the snot. I think it's February 2nd. This is uh, his birthday. Um if we're paying 35 to 40 million for a guy we'll get zero back from, one good in injury and we have a debushi on our hands, it's fucking nuts. So we can't do that. And that's that's a malicious rumor that's clickbait, I pray, because it would be absolutely bananas that that's how we spend our money. I mean, Clive, look, on the one hand, I I can kind of understand the thought process that we have to finish in the top four or win the Europa League. Both of those things are still potentially in play. And bringing in a player who can start right now, make an impact right now, and bring something that we're missing right now yeah. is worth a lot of money to us if it gets us into the Champions League for next season and, and should be a priority. <laughs> Having said that, that is still, statistically speaking, a, a pretty uh, small window to get through if you're committing to that player because... You know, you pay 30, 35 million for a, a player plus the wages. You're talking about committing a lot of money to a player who's on the wrong side of the age curve. And let's make no mistake about the age curve. 
you hit 30 and you decline. It just happens, especially for attacking players. Um, you know, and especially in the Premier League where it's more physical and there's no winter break. So, I mean, for you, where do you stand on the idea of acquiring a player like this for a short-term fix, but potentially on a long-term acquisition? I don't want it to be a long-term acquisition. He's uh, I'm very much in agreement with Paul. We, we, need to, we need to change this, don't we? We're becoming a retirement home, right? It's not, it's not any... There's just no value in doing this. I, I just... The player itself, he's not even in the Inter Milan team at the moment. So he's not playing. Yeah, well, that's good. They can, they can take a player in return who's not in the Arsenal team right now. <laughs> yeah. They, they want to cash in and, you know, get 35 million from the super rich premiership. Stupid idiots are going to pay that money. Right when they buy from us, they never pay that money. Right, so why are we why are we helping them out with their financials? If it's a loan for a period of time, it's a three four million loan fee. That makes a lot of sense because, again, we're overloading Alex Iwobi. He's looking. He's going back to his. I've got no confidence at the moment. He's running in straight lines, looking at his his opposing defender's feet and there's just no hope of him getting around him. So that's not going to sustain itself. That could get ugly if you start losing games. And so we do need to take the pressure off him. It's typical Arsenal, right? We've got, we got defenders with broken faces and broken ankles and broken knees. And the first thing we do is go and buy two wingers, right? So that's that's what we do. And, and we debate that. So I... Um, I want to see us go younger. I want to. I really like the idea of that um, PSG player in midfield, and Kunku, I think his name is. Um, he he looked. Now I looked at that. I didn't know him before, but my son did, and he said, "Yeah, he's good." I looked at all the videos. I think, yeah, that's what we need in our midfield. That's what we need attacking. We need people with devastation that scare people. You know, that really make people concerned. Bring a new face to the club. Not another thirty-year-old getting his last big wage from us. And then we are left with um, potential losses upcoming, which we're going to see later this year, right? So, because we haven't to pay too much money. It's just like any in the workplace, right? The more experienced older guys get paid the most. Simple as that. They've, they've done their work. But why are we paying all of them at Arsenal? You know, it doesn't make sense. So I hope we move, I hope we move away from that. Yeah, it, it just is one of these situations where you look at the financial reports that just came out and Spurs are within 9 million of us or whatever it was and you know the the gap is closing between other teams teams that were behind us have passed us we're going to report a loss in the next reporting period a substantial loss it looks like and you you can't keep acquiring players who will have no resale value and you know expect that you're going to get anywhere because we don't have an owner who's willing to put money in now you can say that's the problem fine if your opinion is that the problem is that Stan won't put money in. I can't argue with you. That's an opinion, but he's not going to. So we have to run the club with an eye towards another way to operate. He's and, not even able to at the moment, Elliot, with these short-term cost control measures. Yeah, he's not... Yeah, I, he's I, not you, I guess I'm making the point, though, that w- whatever the rules, right, at the end of the day, we have to live based on our reality as it is right now. And our reality yeah. as it is right now is that player trading is an important part of our revenue that can be reinvested back into the squad. So... It, it is a really tough situation because, you know, there's an argument, a debate going on on Twitter sort of saying, look, we need to get back into the Champions League. This is a guy who could potentially get us there. Then as a loan, that makes sense to me. But if you commit to that player and you don't get there, the future that you're committing to gets, you know, your your percentage of getting back in gets lower and lower and lower. Because if a team with Perisic this year can't get back into the Champions League, 
What does a team with a year older Perisic do next year? You know what I mean? And you've spent the money getting him that could go to someone that could develop into a better talent. So I, I just, it feels like a path to nowhere. I'm, I'm fine with loaning basically anyone because there's no risk to it. But loan with a compulsory option isn't really an option. It's a purchase. You're just deferring yeah. when the money gets spent. Um, I think that's pretty good coverage of all that. We got Cardiff coming up tomorrow. So, uh, you know, hopefully no one will listen to this podcast. That's always our hope because um, it's just a hugely embarrassing set of opinions that I've espoused on this particular episode. But that's okay. I'm kind of used to it. Um, <laughs> really not, not different from any other time. And don't worry, guys, because after this section, we're going to talk lingerie, and then we're going to have the Doomcast section with Dave Meeks coming on. So you don't want to miss that. Um, Paul, just... Yeah, this was the cheery section, This was everybody. the cheery section. Um, just in closing, with with an eye towards Cardiff and then City at the weekend, I, I posted on Twitter, I've got my schedule on Saturday, it says uh, Manchester City versus Arsenal, and then right after that it says delete Twitter, uh, because I have a feeling that's going to be an, unple- an unpleasant time on social media. But if you had Emery's ear, or even both of his ears, you'd look weird, because they probably wouldn't fit your head, but um, w- how would you want him to set up for, for Cardiff? Yeah, I think Clive's right. Um, given the uh, paucity of defending talent at our disposal, um, given Clive's well-made point on getting, if you, Maitland Niles will make a better wing back than he will a full back in an attacking sense. I think you played three at the back against Cardiff in preparation for going away to City. Um, unless we're just planning to sit back with a, a straight four at the back and, uh, but with three at the back and two wing backs, you get to have five at the back. So no matter what way we play, I think Cardiff is the good, the right testing ground to get ourselves, because this is all new personnel at this point, get ourselves sorted against Cardiff, get a result, hopefully, and then go to City knowing roughly who's going to play where. But three of the back, given, uh, I mean, we don't just need to field two centre backs. We need backup centre backs. So at least with three of the back, we just need one actual real centre back in the middle. And you can use your Monreals, your Kalasinaches, if it comes to that, Lick Steiner, Jenkinson, whoever the hell you need uh, alongside them as the centre backs. It won't be pretty, but it'll be fun. It should mostly be functional. And we have the right personnel to be able to play with three at the back of the moment because it's the only personnel we have. Yeah, I mean, the problem is there's a part of me that says, you know, just go balls to the wall against Cardiff and, and attack, 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 play a back four, you know. And, well, what and does it get us? It doesn't get, I know, I know that's exactly, I was going to finish with that. And, it, and what it does is you're playing football without a net at that point because if you get caught on the counter and they get a goal and they have something to defend, the game gets even harder. Um and you've nothing to bring to City is the problem, I and mean, you haven't built anything yeah, in I, terms of confidence and a way of playing. I would say so, this. Uh, if you offered me three points between the two games, I'd take the three points. So I, I, I kind of believe that our job is to get three points against Cardiff, not to prepare for City, because I'm, I am prepared to write the City game off. Maybe that's sacrilegious, but I, I don't see us going to But you don't want to get anymore. shafted at City. You want to perform at least i guess we got shafted at amfield and you know it is what it is so I, I would like it to not happen again i agree but if you told me you would give me the three points tomorrow for a five nil hiding at city i probably Yikes. still i'd probably still take it though honestly nope. uh, all no right thanks. well clive where do you stand on that <laughs> <laughs> no obviously we, we gotta get the points against Cardiff, right that's just obvious and 
paramount. The City game, well, by the time the City game comes, I, I just taught myself into the fact we can get a point, right? So, and that's what being a fan's all about. But I'm, obviously, the centre pack situation is is the major concern. I feel for Kashani, right? He's just started to come back to some sort of form, and, and that happens. Um, and Socrates, well, yeah, he, he is our best defender at the moment, and we lose him. We need something there desperately, but I think that's going to be a summer purchase. If there's a loan to be had, it needs to be in that situation. But is Gary Cahill the answer? Maybe. Um, Chelsea seem to want a lot of money for him. So maybe we walk away from that. There's nothing in the reserves. Callum Chambers is no longer a centre-back. We can't get him back anyway because uh, the loan deal is stipulated. We can't get him back after a certain date. So we're in a situation where we are dependent upon um, you know, Brazy stroke Mavropanos, right? That's what we need to come through, and um, if he does, who obviously I'm, I'm a big fan of him, what he could be, but it's a hell of a lot to ask a player who hasn't played since Boreham Wood nearly, and then to play his next game to be um, Cardiff struck Man City away in four or five days of each other. That's, that's we saw a big holding. Ask. We saw it with holding that that is a position that takes time to get right, and yeah. you know I mean I. I'm not saying he won't be good. I'm just saying he won't be consistently good right away because no young center back, well, no, no. I should never say no, but most young center backs aren't, certainly not consistently. Now, you could argue if he has to go through growing pains, he's still going to be better than the alternative. Yeah, that, he has got the tools, the Elliot. He has really got the tools. I mean, Holding had to work very hard to get to that level. And he's, what I like about Holding is he added a level of passing ability and composure to, to to add to his game, you know, defensively he's solid. He's not super quick, but he's made himself an Arsenal centre back by making sure he uses the ball really well. Mavropanos uses the ball pretty well, but defensively he's he's quicker, he's bigger, he's stronger. He has the tools. He just lacks the game time, and that's why we can't go all in against well, look, him. With him. All he has to do is play every single game at a ten out of ten level for the rest of the season. And I'll be yep. right behind him. That's it. Absolutely. Um, let's leave it there. I've got Dave coming up with the, the Doomy segment of the podcast. So this cheery shit is over. Uh, but don't worry. We will spice up your life with a little lingerie. little lingerie. Easy for me to say. It is, gosh, a little over two weeks to Valentine's Day. And God knows you're going to need some romance in your life when the window closes. So I would be giving the enclosed a look. We'll talk about them momentarily. But first, Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive P-A-F-C. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. We'll take a break. We'll talk lingerie, and then we will come back with the part of the podcast that won't be as cheery as this part. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed, the E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a lingerie of the month club. That's right. Just like a beer of the month club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. Look, Valentine's Day is around the corner. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating Valentine's Day with a gift from The Enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you 
of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. All right, we're back, and we have a very special uh, guest coming on right now. This is really a treat for you, or depending on your perspective, an undeserved punishment. I've heard it both ways. Uh, back in the day, there was a podcast, and technically still is a podcast, called the Arst Mouse Podcast, also known by the listeners as the Doomcast, uh, because it was really fucking doomy. And uh, one of the people responsible for that is Dave, and Dave is here now, and you cannot find him on Twitter, because he literally is not on Twitter. He's a weirdo. Here's Dave. Hey, Dave. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I uh, appreciate your uh, definition of the word special. It's that's quite a lax, uh, lax definition you've got there. For, but the, uh, I appreciate. There's a massive um, amount of of subtext that can be added to the word special. So true, you true. are special in a lot of ways. And for a lot of people, they just know you as the Scottish guy from the podcast, yes. uh, the Arse to Mouse yes. podcast with Tim Clark. By the way, so uh, there may be one of those coming up. You're going to be in New York in April. We're all going to get together and potentially yes. do a podcast because the once a year podcast seems like a good thing. It seems to me it's a, a tradition I think we should uh, try and uphold is taxing on our schedules as it is. So, Okay, so between now and then, uh, Perisic, going to save the club? 30-year-old 30, 30 from Inter? <laughs> I mean, no. No? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there. Like, I, of all the things I wanted from this potential non-existent January shopping list, I, a 30, well, technically, he's still 29. He's I, 29 I until he's 30. Me. That's how it works, Dave. I think I think the argument might have been done on Twitter before, um, but yeah, I did not really have a a twenty nine year old uh, winger at the top of my uh, wanted shopping list. Um, I'm not against the transfer. Like the money uh, being talked about seems slightly foolish for uh, a, such a, cl- a cash strap club as our, as we are. Uh, I think what close to seven million just in wages between now and may which seems fairly extravagant and then 7 a.m kickoff did the math and said like between the mooted fee and the wages he'd basically be three hundred and twenty-two thousand pounds a week oh the duration of the so basically Mesut ozil just with a different last name um i i like the player fine like i i uh, thought he had a particularly good world cup i remember um when croatia not um England out in the semi-final. He had a, an excellent game then. He seems quite a, like a canny player. And if you're asking me, would he be more prolific in terms of assists and goals than Mkhitaryan? I'd say, you know, provided he hits the ground running in a new league quickly, yes. But um, it wouldn't massively excite me. Um, but having a, a semi-effective winger would be a novelty. I can't remember the last time we had one of them. So Does he score goals? Like, am, I miss, am I missing something? Like, We've got plenty of guys that don't good. score goals. Does he score goals? It, well, he's, uh, from the very cursory look I had earlier today, his, his contribution from his time in Italy has been pretty good. His numbers in terms of directly contributing in goals or in terms of, you know, he passes or assists and finishes. Fairly good. So, um, But I... I mean, it's, considering the gaping black hole of despair that is our centre of our defence, and you know, just defence in general, um, I think we have more pressing issues to address. But um, yeah, it, it, it would seem a, like a strange use of resources for a club that has been so bad at selling and buying of late. So to, to you know, to make a, a large financial inlay on a player who will have next to no resale value in three years' time 
does seem like a very Arsenal thing to do. I mean, it seems like a very Gesidis thing to do, which is worrying considering he's no longer at the club. But um, if this is the kind of blueprint of the new regime and certainly the post Mislintat regime, it's not. Yeah, it's a little worrying, I'd have to say. I don't know. What do you feel about the potential transfer? Well, I just love this as a squad building idea. Like, take the player who's potentially the best player in your squad and swap him with another club for a slightly less good, equally as old player. Like, <laughs> Alexis Sanchez goes to United for Mkhitaryan and Perisic comes to Arsenal and supposedly we're trying to get Ozil to go the other way. Like, that, that feels like a recipe for disaster. Every time you just take a really good player and send him somewhere else in exchange for a maybe slightly less good but similar age player, I don't know that that's going to uh, lead us to the promised land. I, I think the problem is like, look, he could be really good and he could help us, but unless we finish top four this year, which is a really tiny margin for error, or I guess win the Europa League, then you've got a 31-year-old middle-of-next-season player on big wages who, much like Mesedozo, might find himself just totally out of the out of the manager's plans and who even knows who the manager would be at that point. But it's funny since you're not on Twitter, I want to, I like (laughs) giving you access to to Twitter stuff that just drives me nuts. So there's an account on there that posted a a lineup. It said, realistically, we could line up with something like this next season. Pepe for 50 million, Maguire for 40 million, Dennis Suarez for 20 million, sell Ozil, Mustafi, Chambers, Elneny, Jenkinson, Martinez, wages gone, check, Lichtsteiner, Welbeck, uh, Welbeck gone to massive rebuild incoming. And the lineup is the most distinctly Everton lineup you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> you've got a front three of Lacazette, Awobi, and Pepe. You've got a midfield trio of Shaka, Torreira, and Dennis Suarez. And the back Wait, line... Wait, are we selling Aubameyang in this one? <laughs> I, mean, I guess so, yeah. And then the, the back line is Klesinac, Maguire, Holding, Bellerin, and Leno in goal. Like, that that screams we're now Everton. Like, I just... The idea that that's where we're headed is pretty nauseating. How, how um... I can Elliot, because Everton actually spend money. They do so, spend money. I, I wish. Uh, all right, well, we could be the new Everton, then that's fine. So uh, <laughs> while we're on the way to new Everton, we're not in the FA Cup anymore. How uh, how much did that aggravate you? Strangely, not that much, and this is quite bizarre, because I was actually watching it with my ex-flatmate, who's a quote-unquote Manchester United fan, even though I'm fairly certain he's not been within 50 miles of Old Trafford. Um, but I, I think my... I wasn't bothered. Well, I always bothered to a certain extent because I hate it was in the United. But um, I just think the the memory of those three FA Cup wins is still fresh enough in my mind and heart that it didn't overly bother me. I mean, we obviously have much more pressing uh, goals this season. Obviously, top four. Um, are, 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 are you going to hit us with a top fours are everything like that Spurs song? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if we're all going by the the Pochettino motive that, you know, I think uh, trophies are trophies just, are just there. Yeah. <laughs> they're there to corrupt players, you know, they, to inflate your ego and your uh, sense of self-worth. So um, I, I I was actually, you know, when I saw the starting lineup, I was, of all, you know, and I, I know it's a fairly contentious point, um, Emery's general schizophrenia when it comes to starting lineups this season. But I, I, of all the, I... I'm tempted to say that was probably the least angry of being at a starting lineup this season. Like I, I outside Leno for perhaps check. I, I like how I you don't say happy; you say least angry. Least angry. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, anger. Let's, let's not be too. Uh, let's not be too strong with the praise. But um, I was glad to see Mitchell and Niles start over old Litty, That's for sure. Um, I, I was. I was glad to see at least some cohesion in terms of formation carrying over from the Chelsea game. I think you know we have been. 
very Jekyll and Hyde this season when it comes to personnel and formation. So, you know, I, I was hopeful this would be the, the start of a, a trend of, you know, some more stability in terms of um, personnel and formation oh, going forward. Oh, there's stability. You won't see Mesut Ozil in any lineup. You know, That's stability. No, <laughs> no, no. Mesut Ozil. But, you know, he, yeah, he came off the bench. So that was a that was a bold, refreshing choice. Um, I, I mean, every, it, the first 15 minutes were fine. Socrates got injured, and then the old consuming black hole of a central defender that uh, Mustafi is. He, uh, even though you know, I don't directly really blame him for the Sanchez goal, when you've got a player who's such a liability, I just think he he just – this sense of just awfulness, just – Panic? <laughs> it, yeah, panic. It just it, – it just it, – he emits from every pore in his being, so it just infects every other player within 50 yards of him. So, where do you rate? Um, him? All right, of all the comedy clown car crash defensive players that have been, well, he's top three. I mean, he's Hall he, of Fame. You've got Squalachi, Sylvester. This, there's a lot. Andre Santos, uh, Traore played in the eight two. Are you going to put Mustafi in that in that echelon? He's definitely top five. So, all the, the the four players you just mentioned, he is comfortably sitting at that very very depressing top table. So, I think in terms of the worst sort of house I've ever seen at the club. Let me ask top you a question. Three, is Johan Juru, if he was back in the squad, one of the top two center backs at the club right now? Oh, that is one of the most extraordinarily depressing <laughs> statements. I mean, I've think, ever think about some of the guys that weren't good enough in the past when we weren't good defensively. They'd be I, stars I for be, us right uh, now. He'd <laughs> be certainly competing for a first team place, which is quite depressing. Um, yeah, could could we? Oh, what was his sender? Could we get a Senderos Juru pairing right now for the win? Hey, 2005 Sandros had taken a taken a heartbeat, <laughs> but of course, of course, Sanchez had his probably his most inspired moment in the United shirt against us because that was always in the very doomy, depressing script. So, all right. So then, what do you think about your boy Emery? So we have a back channel. You are the Emery in yes. representative of the back channel, which will surprise people who know well, you. I, I'm uh, I'm astonished that that's uh, how I'm known in the back channel as the Emery apologist. I, I think if you look at the back channel, you're the <laughs> you're the person screaming Emery in every time we score a goal. So what do you think your boy's handling of uh, Mesedoza? I mean, is it fine with you that we just he's just not a thing anymore? Well, I, I will say before I comment on the Ozo situation, the, there's a pop, popular, well, it's becoming ever more popular phrase in the back channel. Uh, Basque Moyes is a, a term that's being used a lot just now, and I, I, I will say I'm not the one <laughs> who either coined that, that phrase or, or <laughs> uses it with every single message they send. So, uh, and I think it's been disastrous. I think it's been absolutely comical. I, I'm reticent to put all the blame in Emery just because we you know we're not privy to every decision that's going beyond the. Uh, the only on reason you won't put all the blame on Emery is because you put all of the blame on Stan Kroenke. So literally, like, true, if Aubameyang well, misses a sitter, you're like, Stan Kroenke can fuck off. <laughs> for, for for full transparency, so yes, 100% of the blame is on our silent one-away owner. Um, I wish he was one-away. Um, <laughs> I think it's extraordinary when you've got you know a, a £350,000-a-week asset who is, on any given day, probably your most gifted footballer at the club to... To freeze him out in such a way that is so harmful to the club and the player and the the prospects of selling the player for any sort of fee, I mean, it's just, I I get that for whatever reason, I know he can be mercurial, but if Emery doesn't like the cut of his jib or he doesn't think that he can play this high press game that he really only, Emery only enforces once every six or seven performances anyway, um, fine, but to, to ostracize him 
and leave him out like this, all you're going to do is massively damage his sell-on value. Like, you, you're right, it's a, a pretty small select pool of clubs that can afford him anyway on those wages. You're only, you know, to use a horrendous cliche, you're only cutting your nose off to spite your face because now, the, you know, maybe we could have sold him to PSG, perhaps Bayern, although I'd say Bayern was very unlikely. Now, who the hell would want to take him? Because he's, he's had almost no football over the last six months. God knows what his fitness is like. He... He's been painted as this kind of not pantomime villain, but a player who's not, you know, who who's work shy, who doesn't have the stomach for a fight, who has to be treated with, you know, with very, uh, you know, uh, he has to be treated treated very very difficultly. He's such a luxury; you can't play him away from home. So I don't think we're going to be beating away suitors in June. So I just think. If I could go back, if we could Delorean ourselves back to, <laughs> I guess what January. 2018 just just this time last year the original said just yeah just uh, just this time last year i would you know if you could take and it, you know the annoying thing is you wouldn't even need three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week you could probably go back offer aaron ramsey what two hundred thousand pounds a week and i'm sure he'd be happy he would absolutely resign for that we did we, offer we, him we, that we pulled it off the table because yeah, we know, wanted to lose him to juventus for free by the way it shows you how far things have fallen the official account today you're not on twitter so i like sharing this stuff with you the official account tweeted i shit you not shadow of a person emoji Mesut Ozil's handle and a picture of Mesut Ozil. Like, that's the tweet. Send tweet. That, that it was is, just a uh, picture of Mesut Ozil and his name. Like, he's such an enigma to the club now. They don't even know, like, how to present him on social media. So they just, like, tweeted out his name and a picture of him. I must say just something, going back to the back channel, that something that you've really impressed upon me recently. And I, to be honest, I was, I was never as obsessed with you. But now I'm really coming around to your very depressing way of thinking. But... <laughs> Just to, to look at to look at Liverpool's success this season, and regardless of the whether they win the league or, just look at the you know the the points conversion rate. It's unbelievable. You know, you're talking probably what top three in Premier League history in terms of yep. points at this stage of the season. Their 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 uh, progress over the last twelve to eighteen months has been colossal. I mean, absolutely transformative. And the reason they've been able to do that. It's because they sold one player for about ninety million pounds, and they sold another player for about one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty million pounds, and that has facilitated an entire squad rebuild where they've upgraded in key positions massively: goalkeeper, centre half, centre midfield. And if we are really going to do this, make this self-sustaining model work, you cannot be as bad. I mean, I was always obsessed with the ins, but now you've made me obsessed with the outs because we've there you been, go. We've been so horrendous at selling. Talk about players. net spend. That's what it is, Dave. Yeah, I mean that. That's <laughs> now that, that that's the club's biggest problem because, as you have rightly said in the last week or so on the back channel, spending money has not really been the issue the last eighteen months. Because look, we spent one hundred and twenty million, or the best part, or sorry, a hundred million two strikers in the space of six months. Yeah, more than that. So, yeah. like you know, financial outlay has not been the problem. It's been generating cash, and you know the only substantial transfer we've had in the last. Well, three or four years has been Oxley Chamberlain. We are astonishingly bad at some points. I mean, I'll let you rant on this for a little while, but it's it's really quite something. Like if you're going to try and make progress on Spurs, on Liverpool, on City, etc., you cannot be as bad in the transfer market as we are. No, especially not when it comes to selling. I mean, it's just astonishing how bad we are in the market. Well, and this is my point. You know, if you want to beat up on your your punching bag, Stan, be be my guest. I'm not saying he's like helping us or anything, but 
do you want to give these people more money to spend poorly? Like, I, I don't know what you want them to do. I mean, th- these are the guys that decided, well, these are the guys, someone was the guy that decided to buy Mustafi. And, you know, you look around the squad and you look at the decisions they've made at certain positions and Shaka, who, you know, whether you love or hate Shaka, it's clear that we definitely didn't know what we were getting when we bought him because we said he was a box-to-box midfielder and that just turned out to not be the case at all. We swapped Alexis for Mkhitaryan because it's the best we could do. We spent 110 million pounds on strikers. I mean, I think Torreira was a savvy purchase. I think Ganduzi for the long term will be, you know, wind up being a good purchase. I don't know, you know, I mean, Socrates has been probably our best central defender this season. Um, Leno, That's a th- very low bar. Yeah, well, fine. That's a very low bar you have to vote under. I, I mean, I, I, we have always sort of been of the opinion that if you look half decent as a center back at Arsenal, then you are a very, very good center back. Um, just because you're always defending emergencies and you know picking up the calamities of the player you're playing next to. But like, I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. The issue isn't necessarily how how much money we've spent. It's how we've spent the money we have spent. And it, it is really weird. I mean, you look at Arsenal 2019, and it it is all of the chickens from the past five, ten years coming home to roost. It's the ridiculous way we structured the, the stadium finance and the, the payments we have to make and the reserves we have to maintain to pay the stadium. It's the bad commercial deals that got surpassed by all our rivals. It's the huge wage bill on players that have underperformed. It's the failure to develop any assets that were saleable. I mean, we actually, the, the financial results just came out for 2017-18. And those results, you know, look They were some dis- reading. They were, they, they were some not enjoyable reading. Well, the funny thing is the big headline was, oh, Arsenal turns a huge profit. But, I mean, that's an illusion because it doesn't include any of the big purchases, but also... The actual he- headline, though, was really... Look, my, Spurs, my are, God, Spurs are 9 look, million look away from much, us? Look how much Spurs have turned the, the tide in terms of catching up with us financially. They surpassed us in match day revenue because of Wembley, obviously, which is artificial, but, I mean... The commercial deals, the stadium, I mean, all of the advantages we had when we moved to the Emirates, we just pissed through that. You know, I mean, we were like a lottery winner, you know, who's like bankrupt like 10 years after they win the lottery or something like that. So I don't, you know, I don't really know where you go from there. But the the thing I will say that is going to be interesting, we're going to turn a huge loss for the 18-19 reporting period because that's where the purchases of Aubameyang and Lacazette and... Uh, Torreira and Socrates and all that will t- will show up. And we don't have any really uh, offsetting sales during that period. The other thing is people say, oh, you say we're bad at selling, but look how much we made from player sales in the, in the previous period. Well, some of that was just selling off junk. But also the Alexis swap was reported as a sale. You know what I mean? So we sold mm. Alexis to United and bought McTarian, I believe is how that works. So like that also artificially inflates our sales. I don't know. I mean... It, do you, do you just kind of get annoyed by like the balance sheet analysis that goes into being an Arsenal fan at this point? I mean, in general, money in Arsenal has never, has never really been a, a happy topic. But I guess in terms of the new regime, and we are really, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not exactly hopeful. But um, this, in you know, not that Emery's got much to do with the uh, the transfer side of things right now, but this really does predate even Stan Kroenke by many, many years. If you, if you weren't really a uh, sad-faced president, you only have to go back to, what, 2006, 2006, somewhere 2006, immediately after losing the Champions League final. Um, I remember David Dean coming out and saying this in a press conference just when Henri re-signed that we had two £50 million offers. And bear in mind, this is summer 2006, so £50 million is 
moon money. That I mean, that's an incredible yeah, amount million of money today, for yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, well, more. I mean, that, that's that's like the Neymar transfer, really. I mean, that is an incredible amount of money. Uh, instead, we kept the player. He had half a season, and then he, he got that stomach injury. He scored maybe about eight or nine goals, and then he left for sixteen million. So <laughs> you know, you you, you did uh, you did point this out where we have almost never sold you know a really really notable players for approaching what they're really worth in the market you know we we kind of lowballed the cess fee because we had a sweetheart deal with us and saying yes give us one more season of this shit show and then we can we'll let you go to barcelona um van persie you know we kind of sold on the cheap because i think he pushed to that he, united he, and he had one year left you know we sold when he had, had one, one year, year left yeah. you can't I mean, be selling constantly in the final year of a deal it's i mean look at the Murata thing i like i know it's only a loan move um but somehow Chelsea have persuaded uh, it's Atletico, isn't it? Persuaded Atletico to take Morata, and I presume uh, Atletico haven't seen any footage coming out of Stamford Bridge the last year. But you know, like we just we're just the the worst blaggers ever. Like we just can't sell shit. It's just <laughs> it's embarrassing. But one thing I will touch on just before you uh, promptly drop me as you should. But um, yeah. I was listening to the Arsecast on Friday, and it, I thought Quality it was really podcast. interesting. There was a, there was a very I, I forget forgotten the gentleman's name, but he was a lot more articulate and a lot less stammering than me. Um, he was an United fan, and he was you know uh, uh, Musa Akwanga, uh, I believe is that, or who uh, I think so. Yes, um, I've got it. Hang on, I've James was James was asking him just for the outside outsider perspective and how he how he thought Emery's first six seven months in charge is gone and he was very you know, he was absolutely full of praise saying he thought he'd done an excellent job he thought he'd managed players well he thought he'd you know taken on the you know the mantle he was taking over you know the, the looming specter of replacing an ingrained historic 20-year manager which you know only the only other present for that in the last you know maybe ever in English football was Moyes playing United and uh, I thought that was interesting because I've got some friends who uh, I've got three friends who are actually seasoned holders of the Emirates and they are, uh, we also have a WhatsApp group which is considerably less doomy than the back channel and they were <laughs> they were they weren't Emery out I'm not saying we are Emery out well not not in not in public anyway um, but I just thought it was interesting I think we I think me you and Tim we were reasonably you know we're we're fairly reasonable people in real life but i think we are prone to uh wild mood swings when it comes to arsenal opinions on shared over whatsapp um but i just thought it was interesting that i think i think from the outside looking in i think most opposition fans probably look at emery and think he's doing a decent job like you know we're i think we're, we've got five more points in the table than we did at this stage last season um but I, you know, I, I just think that's interesting. I don't know whether we are being overly harsh on them. I, I mean, I look at us. My general feeling is the football is not, in, you know, the way record, just in terms of pure points, has obviously improved substantially. But I don't think the style of football has improved at all. I think you look at key metrics like chance creation, chance conversion. That's actually down. Certainly, you know, the goals conceded is up. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very much. Still, the jury's out. I mean, I, I would say he needs a two or three transfer windows to really kind of impart his vision on the club. But I, I look at it now, and I, I have no idea what the philosophy of the the club is. I don't know what style of football we're trying to play. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was interesting that people do think. You know, pe- there are people out there who think he's doing a good job. Uh, 
so yeah, that, that was that was that was the thing. I mean, I think it's interesting. Look, maybe well, Arsene Wenger, I think we agree, had become a not good coach towards the end. Maybe we yes. underestimated the extent to which he was the glue holding the club together a bit because you look at how quickly. I mean, Arsene Wenger goes, Ivan Gazidis fucks off, Sven Mislintat's gone. You know, uh, Ramsey's leaving on a free. Ozil doesn't play anymore. Like, things just feel very chaotic. And every piece of news that comes out about Arsenal right now just sends the message of a club in a little bit of chaos, trying to figure out how to pull itself together after, you know, having a, a manager who helped, seemed to hold it all together. So, I, you know, I mean, I think whatever criticism he deserved as a coach, maybe he deserved a little more credit as a manager, you know, as the person running the club. Because it certainly doesn't look like the club really knows what it's doing at this point. For those of uh, people who never listened to the Doomcast, the Arsene Mouse podcast, um, which, again, there will be an episode, you know, at some point in the future, maybe, which is about as committed as we've ever been. Um, <laughs> we we had a segment. Whoa, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't want to overcommit you. We had a segment that we won't do now uh, called the Predictatron. <laughs> and literally, <laughs> th- this is how good this podcast was. We would just sit there. <laughs> And Tim lost, would read. Draw, Tim draw, would read the lost, fixtures, lost. and we would just say lost, draw, or win. So it'd be about twenty-five minutes of us saying lost, draw, or win, while Tim tried to add up, total up all the points we had accumulated, get it wrong three or four times. Um, we're not going to do that. But what I will ask you is, uh, what do you expect the outcome for the season? Where do you think we'll finish in the league and in the Europa League? I think we'll finish six in the league. I think United will overhaul us. I think you know. Momentum is a crucial thing in football. They have a lot of it, and they've, you know, quite frankly, they've got a better squad than us as well. Um, if Socrates is out for a month, which I believe he is, I mean, you know, I, I can see us easily considering four or five goals that the Etihad he had on Sunday. Um, yeah, so I think we'll finish. I I think we'll probably fade away badly towards the end of the season. I think we'll get six. I think we'll probably finish a good twelve points off the top four. Uh, and I think we'll probably get knocked out of the quarterfinal or the semi-final of the Europa League. I think if we face Chelsea, that's it. We're done. Um, Emery in then, so yeah. I assume. Emery. So I, I, I think the season will be more or less over in what late-ish March. I don't know what be you. It's a month better than usual, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. By the way, you're lucky you're not on Twitter because you would take pelters for being a momentum merchant. That's. That's not a thing. Is that a Twitter faux pas in 2019? Is a, it? People don't believe in momentum anymore. Um, all right. Well, look, you can't follow him on Twitter, but his name is Dave. Scottish Dave, <laughs> Dave Meeks, Dave Meeklehem, depending on how you want to find him. But uh, you can't find him. So there you go. Uh, he does write game journalism, video game journalism. So if you yes. read read that stuff, you writing about any good games right now? Uh, I'm playing the uh, Resident Evil 2 remake. I'm recording footage of that for a website. That's very good. But uh, if you don't care about video games, then you uh, really don't care about my work at all. So Yeah. Yeah, I don't care. I know that much. My, um, my very uh, important grown-up work. Yeah, we, we will continue to chat with each other on the back chat until we do a podcast. Yes, Funny, the back chat has a title. If you've ever done um, WhatsApp, it has a title you know, that you can title the, the chat and ours keeps changing. It is currently hashtag Arsenal out. <laughs> so. I will, as uh, a, as a, a parting gift, I will give a, a semi spoil. If the, the Doomcast does happen, it'll be likely in April. And I can tell you all three of us will either be incredibly drunk or incredibly hungover because we're planning to do it in the flesh, which is quite exciting. So you'll have that to look forward to. When he says in the flesh, he doesn't mean like naked and on top of each other, just in the same room. Although, I mean, that's, could, could, that's why not both? 
why not both? All right. Well, anyway, thanks. thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, you bet. And uh, now you get to hear our official, usual uh, outro for this podcast. So that's Dave. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Cardiff nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.